Welcome to the Integrated Health Podcast. I'm joined in the studio with Angelo Keeley and Mr. Jim hey Geckler is our special guest here today. Say hello, Jim. Hello, Jim. <laughs> um, fantastic to have you here. Thank you for coming down. Oh, thank you for having me, guys. It's exciting. Yeah. Um, Jim is current executive director, correct? Chief Operating Officer. COO. Yes, a brand new position for Harmony Foundation in Estes Park. Um, we've been growing over the last couple of years and expanding our services, and there really was a need to bring in someone just to run operations. So I was fortunate enough after a long interview process to pack my life up in Minnesota and move to Colorado. That's awesome. And they are really, really lucky to have you because you are a very well-known person in this field, very well-respected person in this field, and probably the best guest we could possibly have on here in the state of Colorado, in my opinion, to talk about addiction today, which Thank is you. the topic of our conversation. And um, as I mentioned a couple other times that oftentimes we make assumptions, those of us who work in the field and who share common language and work with similar, you know, similar populations, that everybody understands what we understand about addiction, for example. And yet when I talk to people who don't work in the field, it's still a very confusing, anything but a sort of simple answer as to what that is. Um, and so I thought it might be great just to kind of start off uh, today talking a little bit about what is addiction? You know, what, what is addiction? What is the difference between addiction and social use, for example? What is the difference between addiction and casual use? That type of a thing. Um, and just sort of start from there and get your, your take on that. You know, um, when I when I look at addiction, and I'm not a clinician, so I'm I'm speaking from kind of a lay a lay point of view. But when I look at addiction and the way it affects people's lives, the conversations I would have with families would be: Is this something that's getting in the way of where you want to be? Um, and if that's the case, then at least take a look at it. Um, you know, I, I'm a little less concerned with whether or not this is a uh, you know, a, a deep-seated driving physical addiction, um, or it's a spiritual level, um, whatever gets you to a place where you're saying, this is a problem. It's a problem in my family. It's a problem in my workplace. Um, it's a problem just in my life. Uh, then I think it's worth looking at. Um, the definitions, I think, can come a little bit later. Um, I know when I, when I, so I've worked in this field for about 15 years, and when I started, I was working in family consulting and intervention. And families would call and say, I don't know what the problem is. And, you know, I think the beauty of treatment is that we really can find out what the problem is. You know, to, to be able to have that, that luxury um, of stepping away from life um, working with people who can say, you know, here's where you are on a spiritual level, here's where you are on a, a physical and mental level, medical level, um, and here's where you are around your relationship with these chemicals. Um, you know, there I know people who smoke pot who don't have a problem. I I know people who every every New Year's Eve they get some cocaine and they're in their 40s and they do a little cocaine and then they don't do it again for a year. Um, I'm not that guy. Uh, and You're never going to do a little cocaine, I am. N I have no interest in <laughs> Either do I. or a little cocaine. No. Uh, no. And I've never understood that. Right. Uh, so right. uh, my, my dad, who is most definitely not an alcoholic, uh, has half a beer and says, I can feel this, and put, puts it down. Wow. 
And then does cocaine. And well, it does a lot <laughs> yeah. of stuff. But he doesn't have a problem with that. <laughs> my father does not do cocaine. No, fa- just uh, for the record. Just for the record. Mr. Ge- Dr. Geckler. Dr. Geckler does, does not, not do, do cocaine. cocaine. I'm sorry. He's a fine, fine man. I, it only took me less than five minutes to get irreverent on the show. Exactly, which is fine. I, yeah. Let's bring it. Um, but, but that is a great. Uh, what is your story? What brought you into the field, so to speak? Um, so I, I grew up on the East Coast and, um, you know, come from the, the air quote nice family. I, my, I have an, one brother who's older. Um, we're both adopted. Um, my mom was an artist. My dad was a dentist. Um, my brother, ironically, is a narcotics detective in, in Dayton, Ohio. Um, I, when I share this in front of people in treatment, I always say some of you may know him. Um, <laughs> right. And so, uh, but I was adopted into this big Irish family. And I, I'm an Irish guy. I have a giant head that makes me an Irish person. And there was alcoholism all through my family. Uh, whiskey sours were the drink of choice. And uh, uh, I became very involved as a kid, very fixated on the ritual of drinking. Um, my grandparents had these beautiful uh, blue glasses that they would put whiskey sours in, and I would finish what was ever in there. Uh, when I was 12, I, uh, there was a, a woman named Barb who asked me if I got high. She was about 19. I was doing a play, and I said yes. Um, because Did you I, even really know what she I was I didn't know what to. she was talking yeah. about. I just wanted – I was saying yes to anything sure. at that point. And um, we – I drank an entire Heineken, and we split a joint um, on the swing set at the Keenan Center in Lockport, New York, and I was hooked. Um, I like home first oh, time. It like was, I fit in. Everything was right at that moment. Um, went to a really incredible school uh, that was. Uh, it was a school for gifted children, uh, which is interesting, um, but. By the time I graduated, I had done every drug I was going to do, um, except for crystal meth. And I had done them in every way except injecting them. So it was a, a place that fostered creativity and openness. Um, there's a number of people that I went to school with who are in the program. Uh, and I graduated with a class of seven. So this was, <laughs> by the time I was going off to, to college, I was well-rooted in, in my addiction. Um, I moved around. I, I, you know, we were chatting earlier about the the maturity of those of us who followed the dead versus the you know you fish people. And um, I don't know to what he's referring, exactly. but keep going. Yeah. And uh, so I I would leave school and follow the dead, come back, apologize, be allowed back in. Um, ended up in Boston for a while, where I I drank and drugged my way through there. And um, in, in the moment that I hope for every addict, uh, every person who really is struggling, I moved back into my childhood bedroom um, in my late 20s. Um, and while my parents were in the other room, I would drink myself to sleep and shoot cocaine in my childhood bedroom. It really, it's a great bottom. Yeah. It, it really is because yeah. it, it's humbling and painful. Um, my parents packed me off to Minnesota uh, where I, I went to treatment. Um, I got out of treatment and I had it all figured out. Uh, didn't follow any directions. Got an apartment with a couple of people from treatment. Uh, got in a relationship right away. Um, wasn't making enough money in one of those sober jobs. So I started bartending um, and stayed sober or didn't use for about three months. Uh, 
went on a run for about a year and a half and then ended up um, through an intervention that was very well orchestrated by the Brooklyn Park Police Department, uh, <laughs> ended up back in treatment. And, um, and you know, since uh, uh, February 7th of 1999, I've, I've stayed sober. Nice. So it was, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, it was what I needed at the time. Um, I, I needed my life to be terrible. So I got out of treatment and said, I will do anything that you tell me. I got a job in a coffee shop um, where I hired a bunch of uh, you know, sober kids to work with me. It really was like a meeting all day long. Um, started managing a sober house. And I was going to, um, I was going to go to grad school. I was going to be a clinician. Um, and there's a, a program at, at Hazelden in Minnesota that I was going to go to. Um, I got fired from my job because uh, I opened my store late. I was at a, I was actually at a church pancake breakfast and missed the opening of my store, so I got fired. And it's a really lame way it to was get fired, right? Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> terrible. It was the first time, though, that I, I hadn't been fired for, for something really for something bad. Really bad. Yeah. Um, and when they came and counted the safe when I was there, I was like, Count away. Yeah. I didn't steal anything, yeah. um, which was refreshing. Sure. Um, and so I, I needed a job. So I uh, knew some people through the rooms and ended up working at a, this intervention group, uh, answering the phones, and fell in love with it right away. Uh, when I, I got to talk to families that were in pain, and I realized that it became my living amends to my parents um, because my parents had no idea what to do. They were they were educated people. They worked in medical fields. Um, they were ashamed at what they saw as their failure as parents um, that they had raised this child who was a drug addict and alcoholic. Mm -hmm. um, and and I used that shame to my advantage all over the place mm -hmm. when I was using. Mm -hmm. um, so I got to talk to families and say, "This is this is what you need to do." Um, you know, it, it was the most fulfilling thing I've done in my recovery. Um, and I, I did that for about seven years and then had an opportunity to go and work in treatment, something I thought I would never do. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But that was kind of my path. It, it came out of uh, really the need to give back. I do come from a family that's got a, a lot of emphasis on being of service. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, it was important for me in, in my recovery to kind of, be a living amends for all the stuff that I had done. Mm -hmm. Definitely, and it sounds like you found a way to connect and, and something bigger in order to to live through. What what do people do? Like you know, you somebody might be listening today and have a loved one. Um, maybe it's it's one of their kids. Maybe it's a spouse. Um, maybe it's their parents. Maybe it's their parents. Yep. That they say I'm really concerned about their use or drinking or other types of addictive behaviors. Yeah, you know, it's. I know there's no easy black and white, but you have some do's or don'ts suggestions for people. You know, I, I think there's two groups I would talk to. One, the people that are listening that are in recovery, mm -hmm. um, is talk about it. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm a, a big fan of the work that's kind of come out of uh, facing addiction and the anonymous people. Um, I think that, you know, I, I would never speak as a representative of a program or type of recovery. Um, but I share that I'm in recovery all the time with people because I want them to be able to approach me if they have questions. Yeah. Um, it, it's, you know, the in the world of do your research, which I think is important to do, um, this is a cloudy area. There is, you know, with, with the Affordable Care Act um, in place, there are a lot of people out there taking advantage of that. 
And um, unfortunately, you know, the internet is not, it's an effective method to find things, but not to vet them. Um, so there's a lot of times if you look online, if you Google, you know, drug addiction or uh, substance abuse or, you know, treatment, drug help, treatment. Help for a loved one, whatever, right. yeah. Um, you're, the, the places that rank highest, certainly the places that, that rank above the bar, um, are usually not the places you want to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been my mm-hmm. experience. So mm-hmm. um, my suggestion is to, you know, take an afternoon, um, take that yellow pad of paper, sit at your dining room table, and start calling people. Mm-hmm. And ask them what they do, um, mm-hmm. and ask them about other programs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you call someone and say thank you for the information on you, who else would you recommend that I talk to? Mm-hmm. And they say no one, mm-hmm. hang up the phone and call someone else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I would agree with that. There are a lot of great people out there doing the right work, um, mm-hmm. and I think that you know I'm a nonprofit guy. I come from a nonprofit background. Um, we usually don't, as nonprofits, have the funds to have high rankings in Google searches. Um, and not that nonprofit is the only way to go. There are a lot of great for-profit groups out there. But finding the right person to talk to can be a challenge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. What are, some of the, uh, what are some of the changes that you've seen when we look at treatment over the past? Because you've been involved in this for, for quite a while, like I have. And for those listening, I, I also am a recovering person that might not know that. I'm a person in recovery. And um, and I agree with what you're saying about us being out. You know, I think it's really, really important. And um, I've I've taken the opportunity as often as I can to let people know that. Not at all in a way of, look at me, I'm great, I'm in recovery, look at what I've done. More simply as a way that it, people do reach out more. People generally say, yeah. wow, I've, I am concerned about my drinking or my drug use. And can we talk about that? And for those of us who are in recovery, that's the greatest single thing that can happen is when somebody actually reaches out because it helps us stay sober and it also just provides that opportunity, right, to to connect. So hopefully there's even somebody listening today who that's helpful too. Yep. You know, um, but what changes have you seen? What are the differences you see? Like what is effective treatment, for example, when you're when you're what would you be looking for if you were putting a loved one in treatment? Well, interestingly enough, I just had to put a loved one in treatment. So mm. someone that I. I you know, is a close family member and um, was dealing with some mental health issues. And I, I work in this. Like you said, I've been, I've been doing this for, for 15 years. I've been part of this industry. And I called the people that I know who are experts. Um, I, I did research. The, the, it, it was an OCD issue, which is that there's a limited access. There's very few programs that, that do direct OCD residential work. Um, and I, I went with it as a suggestion. Um, and you know, the, there were very good things about the treatment experience, and there were things that were lacking about it. And I think that, that you know, if I was looking to put someone in treatment, and what I did, along with the research, is the knowledge that this is, this is treatment. It's a medical experience. So you can't expect that someone is going to show up, and the next day they're going to be well. Um, that this is a process. So there's patience around some of it and um, I, I stick-to-itiveness. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I, I remember a, a mother that we talked to once who said, I've called uh, a thousand people and I didn't get the answer that I wanted, so you're a thousand and one, can you help me? And, and that's what you need to do in this process is not, not give up. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I may have gotten a little off track, but I think this is important. When we talk about family members that are looking for help, sometimes the message that we can get from very well-meaning people can direct us to abandon the person. And um, tough love is important. It's a, a key part of, of recovery. Um, knowing, knowing and setting proper boundaries is great. But I've seen families say, I'm not going to pay for your treatment or help you with treatment or help you with this. Um, because they went to an Al-Anon meeting and someone said, you need to cut all your ties. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think that's the answer. Right. Uh, I think right. the, the answer is to be there in a helpful and supportive way. Um, so if, if I, you know, if, if I started using again today and three months from now called my dad and was swearing at him, he should say, I'm not going to allow you to be abusive to me. If you want to go to treatment, I will help you. Mm -hmm. And that should be the 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 whole conversation. Yeah. yeah. Um, but kind of back to how do you find treatment? Um, you know, knowing that you're not going to to get every every need met in one place. Mm -hmm. um, knowing the right questions is important. I think we can certainly. I, I've seen the the industry change um, in in billing methods. Um, if someone offers you a free airline ticket, I would say hang up the phone. <laughs> I mean, that's mm -hmm. just my mm -hmm. my take on this. Um, if someone says you don't need to come in with a copay for your insurance and we'll just bill it and don't worry about it, move on to the next one mm -hmm. um, because it's just not the way it works. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and if, if something sounds too good, if they say we will cure your parent, sister, child, and move on to the next one, um, you know, this is – it's it's the same. There's no thing. real easy answers. There's there no, no simple answer. magic cures. And, no, and be careful of that. Is what I hear you saying. Yep. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Um, do you think that maybe we get caught up sometimes with this whole idea of disease, not disease? What people's opinion about it is? How the this disease varies from other health issues? Do you want, I wonder sometimes if that's not a barrier or something that kind of separates people from getting well. You know, I've seen a lot more literature these days where people are referring to this, um, even instead of the, as an addict, you know, that, that I have a substance use disorder. Uh, so when I use mind-altering substances, bad things tend to happen and I'm unable to control them and my life gets uncomfortable. My remission to that is to not use those substances and engage in self-care that works, uh, whether that's through program and, and other things. But I guess I, one of the things that I wonder sometimes is, is if we've set up barriers unintentionally, sort of in, in a need to educate people, if we've set up barriers in the language itself. Because I love the way you said, for example, hey, if it's getting in the way of your relationships in your life, take a look. Like that's a very different approach to then you have a disease, you will die unless you treat this. You see what I'm saying? Like I, I do. And and I you know, I think we can get caught in semantics about, you know, you have to say you're an alcoholic. I remember sitting in a group once that I was observing and the 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 counselor was writing this this guy saying, you know, why aren't you introducing yourself as an alcoholic? When are you going to admit this? It's step one, you need to do this. And I'm thinking, maybe it's just not there and that's okay. He's here in the room. You know, be happy he's in the room. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, my path isn't your path. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, there's there are lots of ways up the mountain. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, 
I like the disease model personally for me. Sure. Um, I think I kind of come from a medical background, so it makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I like the fact that you can look at symptoms and diagnose it, and there are solutions that will help with that. I think it, you know, for me, my, the way my head works, I'm able to connect it with diabetes or heart disease, you know, and this is a, a manageable chronic disease. Yeah. Um, there are other people that don't like that, and I think that's okay. You know, it, it's there are there are, again lots of ways to improve your quality of life, and um, you know whether it's smart recovery or twelve step or yoga or you know, Narcanon. I mean, petting zoos. Petting zoos are, are a <laughs> lovely example. Um, although I have a vegan friend who really is adamantly against petting zoos, so that would not be their right. their approach. Right. Um, but I, you know, give it a try. Yeah. Give it a try. Yeah. I know for me, I found something that works. Yeah, and I'm not going to mess with it. Sure, because mm-hmm. it it's worked. Sure. Um, no, but I think it's cool for you to even to have that level of openness of. And there are other things that might work well for other people. Yeah. That if someone's asking me, I'm going to say this is what works for me, and this is what I recommend for you. That makes sense. But that that the landscape of recovery, I feel like, is starting to broaden a little bit, and I think that that's generally a good thing. And that's not to take away from what's worked. Like I think you look. You know, you want to look really at the reality of what has been the most effective behavior modification health benefit program in the you know history of the world. And I think it's really hard to make an argument that wouldn't be Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, I think it'd be really hard to <laughs> show me something right. else that has had that kind of an impact over a large swath and, and et cetera. So, um, but then to say that that is the only way, I don't think makes sense for anybody. Why, what, you know, why, why fight over a life raft? I've always kind of said that. It's sort of like, this is the only life raft. You can't get on another one. Well, if that works for you, then that works for you. you know? Well, and even Alcoholics Anonymous, that doesn't say it's the only way. Exactly. You know, exactly. Mean, that's what I. And Bill I, W. certainly didn't. Certainly and there was, you know, right. So it's um, a. You know, and if we look at the industry 20 years ago, you know, there was no mental health care. If right. you were on Prozac, you were using. Right. Um, you know, there, you know, equine, if you went to a 12 step program in the 70s, you know, why would you be doing this kooky equine? Yeah. Nothing is going to come of it. Right. And now you find it at all the large standard. You know, it's it's evidence based. It's there. It works. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there there is there are shifts that go on. I mean, if we look at medicated assisted treatment. You know, right now that's a hot topic. Sure. Um, and you know, there are people that say if you use Suboxone, you will never be sober. And there's other people that say this is what the proof sh- shows around it. Right. Um, right. And you know, I that's the beauty of individualized care. Yes. You know, if if I come in and you know I'm. I'm an adopted gay man with a Catholic background. Please don't, you know, don't talk to me about these things. It's like, okay, well, we'll leave those off the table. Right. You know, and and find an approach there. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, for family members who are calling, if you talk to a program and they say, we are the answer and it's this way, Mm -hmm. you know, again, that's why the hang up button is on the phone. Mm -hmm. So, no, I agree. Also, um, Angela, you want to ask a question before I go right into another? I mean, I was just relating to all of that. It seems like it, like most things in life, people tend towards wanting to have black and white mm-hmm. answers. And um, there could be multiple things that are all true at the same time. I feel like something that comes up a lot in our community, in our clinical community, is between you know symptoms and root cause. How much does trauma play into it? How much is it um, you know genetic? How much of it is a changing brain based on 
choices you made throughout your life. Um, and when people come with a commitment to it, it has to be one of these things. It's only underlying trauma or it's only this, you know, um, genetically, you know, disposed issue. Just us being able to have the opportunity to say it could be lots of things. It could be different things for different people that create different behaviors. Um, so I'm just really encouraged, you know, to hear your perspective on that, Jim. Yeah. And, you know, there is I, I don't think I've met anybody coming into treatment or coming in recovery who doesn't have trauma. You know, whether it's big T trauma or little T trauma, you know, I it, it is there for all of us and certainly it plays into it. Um, but there are a host of things, you mm-hmm. know, and and, you know, I may have, a, 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 you know, and I, someone that I'm working with who shares five of the things that I have around my recovery. But finding that person, you know, who has everything, it's just not going to happen. And finding a treatment center, I think. This is another one that I that freaks me out is when people say we can do everything. Mm-hmm. It's like, ugh, click. You know, that's mm-hmm. because they're just you, you can't. You can't mm-hmm. do everything well. Mm-hmm. And we see so many people that come and get stabilized from substance use and you know, maybe start some mental health care, but then need to move on to something else. Mm-hmm. You know, treatment treatment is an experience in a very long process. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's been a big change in our industry in the last few years. And we really do know that the longer we keep someone engaged in the process, the better chances they have of, of lifelong quality of life, whatever that might be. Yes, yes. The other thing, too, is, is I think that um, people are often looking for cause, black and white answers like Angela, some place to put it because the, the well-intended belief perhaps is that, well, if I can really zero in on this, then I can fix it or I can interpret it or we could come up with a medication that would have the gene that would make it so that wouldn't, right? Which reminds me of a joke. Like if that medication were actually available, um, I know I would, you know, and they said take one, I'd take two. So I don't know how you're going to like, I don't know, right? I mean, it was just like, so it's like, I still would like to know what three of the non-make-you-addict medications would be when one would do. So I don't know where all that fits into my genetics and I don't know where all that comes into play. I just know in my heart that I have a substance use disorder. I'm an addict. I'm an alcoholic, but I'm recovering. More importantly, today, as I look at myself, my life, and the people I hang out with, it's really about recovery. Yep. And and I think a lot of people don't understand what what recovery is. That there's misconceptions about that. It's a bunch of people constantly sitting around and jonesing, you know, and and that it looks like one thing. And Ultimately, regardless of the cause, regardless of what brings somebody into treatment, regardless of what the behaviors are like, what I find effective, especially working with young people, is that really what recovery is is freedom. Mm-hmm. It's a it's it's a concept of freedom, which is ironically why many of us go to drugs and alcohol, regardless of whether that's for trauma, whether that's a lot of different things. We go because, like you said, when you're sitting on the swing set drinking that first Heineken, it was like, ah, I'm home. And, and I can relate to that. Yep. The first time I smoked marijuana, it was like, thank God this is available, you know? Now, I don't see that same reaction from everybody. You know, my wife, for example, does not, that was not her first reaction to chemicals, you know? So little by little, if that becomes the only solution for you, then there's no freedom behind that. And yet there's shame in admitting that. And there's all this other stigma and stuff. But when you get past all that, I think treatment gives an opportunity to have an initial freedom, the choice isn't available to me, I'm kind of away from it at this particular time, 
it opens up some possibilities of here are some tools, here are some underlying issues that are worth looking at. But you're right. It's just the beginning of an introduction to this thing called recovery, regardless of how you pursue it. It's, it's recovery to me is freedom, freedom from the sort of uh, bondage of addiction or bondage of, of, la- of, you know, a small variety of choices, you know? <laughs> I'm really glad you used that word recovery so much because it's it's a word that was coming up for me. I was thinking about in working with the young adult population, many of whom will admit that well, it's an, it makes me think of when I was a teenager. I must have been 17. My dad was like, you have a drug problem. And I was like, I don't have a drug problem. He's like, well, you take drugs and you have problems. That doesn't happen to other people. <laughs> yeah. So that means you have a drug problem. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I was it's like, pretty good. Oh, yeah. boom. Like, oh, okay, I do. I'm having pro- – yeah, I did. That was problem with the law. Okay. Um that will admit, yeah, I, I get that I did this and, I ha- and it created problems or it, it feels very compulsive or addictive. That word recovery is very, um, I find it challenging for some people. Like they don't, for something that tr- that trips them up. And I wonder what your thoughts are about that and ways in which maybe you've come across that with people that are willing to admit they have, they're, they're having problems in their life, that it feels like there's addiction involved, but somehow that commitment to that idea of recovery well, I think, you know, people want treatment to be a, the solution um, in the kind of the black and white that you were talking about earlier. Um, and treatment is is just a process. I really, I, I look at treatment like college. Um, so you go to college, you get a degree, you know, they many treatment centers even talk about graduation when you get your coin and you, you know, get to move on. Um, and then you go into the world and you learn how to do things. Uh, you know, when you go to college, when you start a job, they don't say, oh, you have a BA, fantastic. We'll leave you alone and you do your wonderful work and you do this. They, they train you on how to be an employee, how to be an adult. And that's the piece that for so many people, myself included, I missed in my first treatment. Um, I went to treatment, I was given the tools and I set them aside. Um, I didn't go to someone who could show me how to do things. I didn't learn how to do things sober. I didn't learn how to have a, a good time. I didn't join recovery. And I'm I'm encouraged by the use of the word recovery and the way you see it more and more and people are talking about it. Um, I don't always know if I see it more and more and people are talking about it because I live in this insulated world around recovery um, because I still talk to people who have no idea that there was a march in D.C., Right. Um, who have right. N- no idea, you know, what what Kara is and why it was important or, you know, that there are different treatment modalities. I mean, all of these things that that most family members have no clue. You know, they know that their kid does drugs and has a problem. Now, what do you do? What is the solution? And for so long, the solution was treatment. And and I think we shortchange ourselves when we hope that the solution is treatment. Mm. Um, it, it, for many people, it's part of the solution. Um, but it, it's... It's a know, gateway, kind of. It, it is. It's an introduction. It's an introduction. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that first joint in that Heineken on the swing. Right. Is go to treatment. You heard it here. Jim Geckler says, treatment <laughs> is Tre- that treatment first is joint. And then, <laughs> exactly. We should make that Harmony's tagline. That's, I don't gonna know be about that. <laughs> I'm going to just, just take that out and quote it, <laughs> quote it with right your there. logo. Treatment is like a Heineken. Heineken your, first your first Heineken, Heineken and joint on a swing. Yeah, but I never thought about it, but it kind of is. Well, it so, kind of is. You yeah. know, because suddenly you're, you're in this area, and I know for me and what I hear all the time from people in treatment is I haven't laughed this hard in years Mm -hmm. Um, you know I haven't had conversations with someone Um, I haven't 
I was listening to a guy play the guitar as I was leaving the other day. And there's always a guy. It's like camp. There's always the one guy who plays the guitar in mm-hmm. treatment. Mm-hmm. And, and they all know Neil Young songs. But that's know, a whole yeah. other thing. And it was yeah. American Pie. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I'm thinking this is what it's about. This is knowing that you can be relaxed and hang out with people and laugh and have a good time. And all of the stuff that we search for in use, um, you know, we find in recovery. Uh, that's been my experience mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, it, when I was open to it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of recovery is uncomfortable because that's life. You know, there, there have been things you know, in recovery. My mom passed away. You know, and and I, I was one of those guys that had that secret list of things I can use over. Sure. Um, one of them was my mother dying. And uh, I was pretty sure she was going to die before I did because she was older, a little bit older than I am. And she had multiple sclerosis. So I was going into this kind of with it stacked in my using favor. Um, and, and when she died, I called my sponsor, you know, who fortunately for me had lost his mom about six months prior. And I said, how do I do this? Mm-hmm. How do I show up in the right way? And if I hadn't had that practice, if I hadn't had the practice of recovery, um, I, I wouldn't have stayed sober through that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, you know, the, the treatment is a vital part. You need to, people need to be diagnosed. Um, not everyone. Some people do it on their own. Some people say, you know what, I have a problem. I'm going to go to this meeting or that meeting or this modality, or I'm just going to stop. I know people have done that. I tried. Right. I mean, all of these things I, I tried. I woke up for years saying, I'm never going to shoot crystal meth again. Mm-hmm. Um, and 20 minutes later, there I was. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, but if you can go somewhere where they can give you a, a true diagnosis, you can understand. They can look at some of the underlying things and give you a way to deal with them. I didn't know how to deal with depression or anxiety. You know, I had, I had we were talking earlier, I had feeling. You know, and my feeling was anger, um, and that's that's all I knew. Mm-hmm. And so to get some tools to say this is what life can be, um, and then be around other people who are doing it. Mm-hmm. One of the things that that um, you know you were, you were saying something uh, earlier that struck me about uh, people going to meetings and having and and I'm a I'm a twelve step guy and. Um, I remember going to meetings with a friend and leaving, and they said everyone was complaining and whining about not being able to use in that meeting. And I said, that's really weird, because all I heard was people celebrating the fact that they didn't need to use in that meeting, that all of these things had happened. So, you know, I had had a perspective shift that that he hadn't at that point, um, which I'm grateful for. But it's, it's, I, I don't know how to be sober. Tomorrow, you know, I, I I could tell you what I've done and how I've dealt with things. There's a lot of things that I haven't dealt with in in recovery, and you know, I'm grateful that my recovery involves being connected with other people that can help me with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, and that I got by using the tools that I got in in treatment, in treatment, yeah. and then and then putting them to practice. You know, it's 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 interesting too. Getting back just a minute to this word of recovery, and I think. It is true. Young adults, young adults and somebody who comes into treatment in their 40s or 50s, there is a difference. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean that some some young adults who come in haven't completely bottomed out and are ready, you know what I mean, and and committed to doing something different. But for a lot of them, especially as we have more awareness and and people are intervened on earlier, um, their own 
uh, first step, if you will, or their own knowledge of where they're at isn't fully baked. Like they're yeah. not quite there yet. Right. And I think, um, one of the things that we've worked on is like, okay, well, so how do you still work with people? You know, not, you know, it's okay to, it's okay to get high and be in the program and keep working with them. Although we tried that 17 years ago and it didn't work very well. But I'd say, how do you continue to work with somebody who they don't, you know, they haven't like the, the, the person in the meeting that you were saying, they're, they're, they're not ready to say I'm an alcoholic. Everybody in the room knows they're an alcoholic. Their evidence points to the fact that they're alcoholic. It's all very, very clear. But if the, if the individual isn't true to themselves yet in that way and willing to say that, then it really doesn't matter very much forcing somebody to say something, right? So it's kind of an interesting, it's an interesting place in, in talking about young adults and everything. I think that's why I like this idea. I wish there was in some ways multiple words for the word recovery, you know, to make it more common. But, but really, as I see it, what's, what, what, what is relatively simple about it is this idea of recovering who one is naturally without mm. without the addition of substance or behaviors that are destructive to them right like cuz i don't i still don't believe that we are fundamentally born with it wasn't like oh you know formula breast milk get me a beer what i mean it's not that's not what's going on when someone's really that young as life happens and then we get a sample of that then we get that feeling so and then for some people that's a great feeling there are people who have a glass of wine and it adds to the quality of their life yep and so the substance itself isn't even wrong. It's not like there's something wrong with substance. It's like, what is one's relationship to it? And who are, who are you really? Who, who are you underneath all of that? Who are you as a recovering person? But who are you when you're not using? Who are you when you're not and using what? Media. I and mean, we could go on and on these days of all the different ways to distract from ourselves. But to me, somehow shifting a conversation to reclaiming, that might be another way, it's like reclaiming who one is without things that are destructive. And I don't think that that's just a conversation in the realm of chemical dependency, for example. I think it's really a much broader societal question about it's kind of valued to dissociate. It's kind of valued, yeah. mm -hmm. you know what I mean, to, you know binge watch Netflix, which I do, but it's just, you know, it's, it's whatever it is. There's this idea that it's okay to distract from yourself on a regular basis. And I don't know, I'm kind of rambling here. So you guys feel free to no, cut I, me I think it's, it's good. I also, with the Netflix comment, if we're doing product placement and hoping for endorsements, <laughs> if Apple TV would like to send me a couple, I, I, a TV that doesn't <laughs> That'd be nice. The new I, I don't want Heineken to start sending me things. No, and that was talk. them a few times. Right, but, right. Um, Apple TV, Apple TV, <laughs> Apple TV, um, which is amazing, by the way, if you guys don't have it. It's that. pretty great. Yeah, uh, it's pretty good. Life-changing. Yeah. yeah. But um, I, I really like the idea of recovering. You know, yeah. uh, recovering who you were right. or who you thought you were or who you wanted to be yeah. or who you didn't know you wanted mm -hmm. to be. Um, I really do look at, you know, I got I got clean, sober in my early 30s, and that's when I started becoming an adult. Mm -hmm. You know, I was this kid. I didn't know how to do anything. And I really look at um, recovery kind of as, as growing up. Mm -hmm. And the people that I know who don't have chemical dependency problems or shopping or gambling or porn or whatever it might be, they did that when they were 18. You know, they they went through these things and I just missed that. Right. And some, I was absent that day from school um, when they said, you know, don't lie, cheat and steal because it will cause problems in your life. You know, I wasn't paying attention. 
um, because those were my solutions for <laughs> yeah. a long time. Yeah. And you know, when I got sober, I'm like, well, maybe I'll try this way, mm-hmm. um, which in my head was the boring way. Mm-hmm. You know, I was convinced that getting sober, I was going to be boring. That I, w- I wouldn't be funny anymore. I wouldn't have fun. I wouldn't, you know, nothing would happen. I'd sit in a room with a bunch of old guys who were smoking and drinking coffee mm-hmm. and and wine. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. W-H-I-N-E. Yeah. And uh, it, it has been the total opposite. Everything that I used to sit in my room using, thinking I would like to be doing, um, I've done in recovery. I, I feel exactly the same mm-hmm. way. Yep. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. And I think also one of the unfortunate parts of recovery being so anonymous in general is that very seldom is front page news ever made with millions of lives positively affected <laughs> right. by not using one day at a time. Like that you don't see that. What you see is actor back in jail after da 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 oh and they went through hundreds of thousands of dollars of treatment so that doesn't work either and this doesn't work so we sensationalize the problem on an ongoing basis and there's very little airtime in a in a mainstream way given to the solution you know you know the the idea that treatment doesn't work because someone used again right um also drives me crazy you yeah. know i i've uh I've been to funerals of friends who have died from cancer, um, who have gone through aggressive treatment, Mm -hmm. and no one stood up and said, treatment doesn't work, this is terrible. It's, you know, the disease was too powerful. It's a very kind Compassionate, yes, yes. Um, But for for those of us with with addiction issues, you know, it's a moral shortcoming. It's treatment didn't work. There's always a a blame, Mm -hmm. and I, I I don't think that's helpful. I, no. I don't think at the end no. of the day that's helpful. And it, it's, you know, I, I share all the time, like I said, that, that I'm in recovery. Um, and, you know, I, I love some of the different language that's coming around about it. You know, people saying, oh, I, I've in lifelong recovery since 1999. <laughs> you know, and I think that that's great. If yeah, that, if that sure. works for you, um, I, I like saying I'm an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it really empowering. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I am a drug addict and alcoholic. I kind of like the shock factor of it, sure. to be honest. Uh-huh. Sure. Um, and I, I like the, hi, how are you? I like the, That's my son. the whole experience. <laughs> yeah. um, but it, you know, it's interesting because my, my dad, when I got sober, you know, and, and I was working for, um, for Hazelden, uh, Betty Ford, I, I went back to this small town outside of Buffalo where I'm from. And I, one night I said, I'm going to go to an AA meeting. He's like, well, then people will know you're an alcoholic. <laughs> I'm like, well, Dad, I think the multiple DUIs. The- Dad, it's either it's, e- it's either they that or I'm break- it's either that or I'm breaking into your dentist office to to have your nitrous. You're just trying to set me up for a story here. A little bit, yeah. yeah. It didn't work as it, well. It, it didn't. It wasn't quite that. It was better yes, when we were I, on. It, it was. So I the the story about the nitrous. I um, <laughs> so my father's a dentist, and freshman year we went to. I was going to college in in northwestern Pennsylvania, and we went up to Rich Stadium in Buffalo, which is now something else, um, but it will always be Rich Stadium. Yeah. Me, and um, to see the dead, mm-hmm. and um, my my parents didn't want us all these deadheads sleeping on the floor in their living room. Right. So we broke into my dad's office and slept on the floor there. Oh, and how convenient. There just happened to be an extra, <laughs> uh, tank. extra tank of nitrous that we took with us. Otherwise known as hippie crack. 
Yes. <laughs> and it was very nice just to have the face mask and not have to worry about balloons and breaking things and that whole nonsense. Um, but I laugh when I look back at this because I – and I got into a lot of trouble for that. That was – you know, it, not okay. It was. It is not okay to steal drugs no. from your father's office. No. I, I learned that in recovery. Um, but the thing that I didn't do, uh, that now I look back on. So the um, the notepads in my folks' house next to the phone are prescription pads. Right. And I never, I never wrote a prescription. Um, I did learn that I could sign my father's name very convincingly um, on checks, but I never learned that on. Prescription pads. It would have been so much easier. It, I could have just gone right to the source. Right. Um, but I'm very grateful. Both that are I felonies, I think. They, so it's really. Oh, well, it depends. Yeah. You know, it's a misunderstanding. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, What message do we want to send is sort of our last message out to our listeners today. Yeah, I think that recovery is possible. Yeah. And that that life free of all of that is just amazing. Um, you know, when I, the day before I went to treatment, I was in a room um, with those shades drawn and filth all around me and you know and alone I was completely alone and when I when I went to treatment the second time no one came to visit me uh, because I had just been so horrible to everyone and uh, you know now I, I get to live in Colorado boy yeah. it's beautiful here it's nice and, isn't it um, I've, I've got a husband at home who who you know helps out with things once in a while he does laundry um, but he he hangs out with me and <laughs> and we have a good time and we've got dogs and cats and a beautiful view and people come to visit and my life is full today it's so great um, and I, I go to bed to sleep now instead of to stare at the ceiling and get high yeah um, and so you know listen to that that mom that I talked about earlier if you have a thousand phone calls that you make make that thousand and one because there is a solution out there absolutely um, and life can be better and just for, for our listeners who might like what they're they're hearing and want to know more about harmony what's a good way to reach harmony uh, harmony foundation Inc okay dot com okay um, and it's harmony in Estes Park Colorado and if I can find it's my probably glasses. an 800 number somewhere probably along is an 800 number. yeah you don't need glasses right can you just read that I got it so the number is the 970-577-3174 and that's my office so you call me directly okay call and, Jim directly and I will I will hook you up absolutely yeah. and he could he could tell you more about Harmony or like he said connect you with some other places as well so yeah. um, thank you all very much for listening thank you very much for being on the show thank welcome to Colorado we're thrilled thank that you. you're here yeah um, so Harmony's got a great tradition in this state you know yep. it's been um, so many people have been helped through the decades at that place. Uh, I've heard great stories about it, but I also feel like you're bringing a modern kind of different way of looking at some things and a freshness to the place. And so I think they're really, really lucky to have you as a big score. Well, it's an budget. honor to be part of the, the team there. And we've got some really great and just amazing staff. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much. And we'll sign off for this time. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in and uh, listening to the Integrated Health Podcast. Thank you.